Okay. Welcome to the Gregarious Mammal Podcast. We have, well, not we, I have a guest with me today. It is Ben Maddox from the uh, awesome Perfect Information Podcast. You know, if I was thinking of a word to describe it, awesome would be on the list. <laughs> or perfect, it's in the name. Erection inducing. Is, is this an adult? Is this an adult? I was, show? About, I was about to say no this swearing. Is, this is possibly not going to be an adult friendly, adult friendly episode. It's not going to be a child friendly. Oh, it's episode. going to be very adult friendly. But uh, it's not something we worry about. It's okay. If there I mean, are, by, if there by, are any children listening, it's time to grow up. By so. erection, I mean we talk a lot about civil engineering during the show. Exactly. You see, <laughs> this is going to be an episode about civil engineering. Uh, no. That's when you make things and you're actually very polite. In civil engineering is when you tell people to fuck off while you're building a building. I would heartily recommend listening to Ben's podcast. It isn't family friendly, but um, along well, depend, with his... Depends on your family. <laughs> it does very much depend on your family. Nothing can improve a child's life by consistently hearing the word fuck come out of their parents' mouths. I think it depends on the context. <laughs> it happens to me. My, my mother swore like an absolute trooper. And I've turned out absolutely neurotic and fucked. All right. On that note, let's actually let's actually drill down into why have we got Ben on a ostensibly tech podcast? We haven't even got to the point of mentioning really what Perfect Information is about. It's actually about board games. That's right. Um, so why uh, are we talking about board games on a tech show? I mean, I would I would guess there's actually probably a lot of crossover audience, to be fair, for one. Nerds. <laughs> exactly. Nerds who obsess about details, yes. But um, we're going to talk about a particular aspect, something that interests me and always has, and that is technology and board games. It may seem strange. I mean, a lot of the time I actually play board games to get away from screens. But they have found their way into games in the past and are again now. So we're just going to drill into it a little bit. Let's yeah, I think I think it's something a lot of people say, right? Yeah. I saw I was watching a video yesterday on YouTube, and this guy was talking about the reason he plays games. Bear in mind, he's recording a video for YouTube, and obviously didn't see the irony there. But he's talking <laughs> about you know how he plays games to take himself away from looking at a screen. Mm. And I think if you've looked over the last thirty years since computers became work apparatus. The amount of time we spend in front of screens is absurd. We, mm, you mm. know, we go to work, we look at the computer all day, we come home, we watch telly all day, uh, telly all evening. I mean, I think in a hundred years' time, people are going to look back at the amount of time that we spent in front of LEDs and be surprised that we didn't turn into fucking moles. You know what I mean? It's incredible. Yeah, and it's it's. I don't know if the growth of board games is a reflection of that. Who knows? Um, People looking for an alternative. It depends on the country you're in, of course, as well. I think Germany, especially where we are now, has a big history of playing games with the family and not swearing in front of each other, probably. But anyway. Scheiße! It's just things they say a lot. <laughs> Possibly the first game, I would say, to use a form of modern technology might be diplomacy. It's not necessarily a board game, per se, but it used the postal service, high technology at the time, to connect players together. Have you ever tried a game of diplomacy on, on the, the board game version or on post? I've oh, played diplomacy or, many times. Diplomacy yeah, is, fun, yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. I would, I would recommend, recommend this to anyone out there because the game's actually very easy. Mm -hmm. There's three or four rules. And it, it takes a day. So mm. you need to have a day whether, you know, if you work in one of these funky-dunky tech companies, you know, where you get free Charlie out of the vending machine and all of that... Um, you know, for a team building thing that people who do real jobs do, right? 
do diplomacy. It's fabulous. It is a real exercise in deceiving other people mm. plausibly. And it's wonderful fun. Some people get really offended. I'm always surprised that people get offended. I mean, deception is baked into diplomacy. And so you shouldn't you should expect it and not be yeah. offended when yeah. people do it. Yeah. But um yeah, diplomacy is great and it it's really funny. You know, later on we're going to talk about what I do on what I do on the internet, games I play over the internet to think Doing it by post is unbelievable. And around the people were doing this around yeah. the world, right? Putting their moves into a letter yeah. from Denmark and sending it to fucking America. It's insane. And it so it started in actually it, it's not as old as you initially think. It's around the fifties, nineteen fifty-four. It's yeah. kind of the first commercially version, commercial version. And of course it has transcended post email. Now there's websites. I actually yeah. knew a guy in Leipzig who built one of the web versions of it. Um, probably chat rooms. It probably continues to reinvent itself, which is actually, it's it's interesting. <laughs> oh, but get it, get in a room with yeah. seven, seven other, six other people, have a game of diplomacy. It's the best afternoons fun you'll have. It's absolutely fantastic. Nightmare and games like it. The the old thing of uh, you have the I can't remember what he was called the the guy in the game who looked a bit creepy on a video, and you sat around with your friends. Uh, fast forwarding and rewinding through the video, and actually, if I dig into something, uh, oh, have you got have you got live effects? No, no, no. It's actually just um, just uh, the presentation I've done in the past, which inspired st- starting this mm. talk. So, actually, the it, the original atmosphere, which uh, is sort of the series of these games, came out in ninety one, uh, but they actually made a DVD version in two thousand and six. So wow, it went on for a long time. It's actually Australian as well. I oh, didn't really? It's actually Australian. So it lasted for a surprisingly long time, uh, and it was a co-op, um, which I know you're not such a fan of co-ops, are you? Well, they're fine. It's just that people are horrendous. And so <laughs> competing against them and seeing their disappointment is great. Trying to get people to work together. The world has shown that it's an impossibility. So trying to, in my free time, having to try and get people who, you know, everyone's a sociopath essentially, to work together is nightmarish. So I tend to avoid them. <laughs> Boom. Very good. I'm not sure if that was intentional, but very good. Nothing is intentional. Can you tell he's, he's an actor? <laughs> okay, do you, do you ever play Atmosphere, though? I think I, played I, I never played twice. Atmosphere. I mean, it seems to me, I think before there, before, before Atmosphere, there's a very famous game called Dark Tower okay. that, I, that I never had as a kid. I think it was called Dark Tower, the Black Tower, something like this. And... I never had it as a kid because it was really expensive, yeah. but it was this board game with a tower in the middle and you'd do an action and you'd press it and the tower would go, you are about to die, or something like that. <laughs> and it would dictate your actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from there came Atmosphere, Mall Madness, I think, had some of that. Actually, this of... is a good point. There is the physical technology in some of these games from exactly. the 80s and 90s as well. But, but I think what really makes these games shows that their a sort of aspect of their time is they're, they're not very good. They're not very good games. They, <laughs> yeah, they have a central true. gimmick, which is interesting, yeah. and you play them maybe once, maybe twice, and, you know, you laugh at the funny acting with the guy going, Stop, you miserable gang! 
or whatever. Yeah. And I then, think that's how the guy in the atmosphere did speak. So. Something like that. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, now they get played by people at board game conventions in this very knowing, postmodern, ironic manner, but they're not very good. No. You know, and they last a long time. And it wasn't until board games started to get really good where, especially, especially sort of America, started adopting the tropes of German board game mm. making that the board game started to improve. And then if you look at the recent raft of games that have technological advancement, the games are good first. Mm, mm. And the technology is to supplement that quality. But you actually have games. It's not just a gimmick, right? Before we come to the the modern era, let's just... One thing I'd just like to to say, twisting it slightly on its head. Do you remember, because we're both English originally... um, And Northern Age... And of an age, you actually have the right age. Do you remember Nightmare, the TV show, which flipped this on its head a bit? You know, it's really a French show. I, I'm one actually. of the few people who never loved it. Okay, I can't, I'm too young to remember if I loved it or hated it. There's, there's a huge amount of nostalgia for yeah. this game. So much so that at the UK Games Expo this year, Did they I, had a live action version of Nightmare. Right, mm. and I, I, I don't know, I don't know why it never because it captured so many because yeah. it had the shonky eight bit graphics and it was sort of virtual reality and that was right down my alley at the time but I never really never really gelled with me okay because it was sort of a board game it was more of a role play game I suppose and you know what you know what this will explain my young naivety I was always super confused thinking did the kids in the show have to sit literally sit there waiting for the next week in the dungeon yeah, they did, yeah. <laughs> it was all part of Operation U-Tree. That was all uncovered a couple of years ago. All right, okay. David Lee Travis and Rolf Harris had a hell of a time. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> that took a dark tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's catapult ourselves... Away from U-Tree. Yes. Back to where we were just starting to talk about the kind of modern era. And I guess when we talk about the modern era, we're talking sort of Catan onwards, I guess. Mid-2000 onwards. And all of these games have uh, app versions. And almost it's almost a badge of honour of some games to be like, we've reached a certain kind of popularity, we're going to now make an app, and that will take us to a new audience. What are your opinions on the kind of board game apps? And they're usually phone apps and tablet apps as opposed to computer game versions, desktop computer versions. But Well, that's the thing, right? With the advent of the smartphone and the tablet, then they became viable. Mm. Because it's all that thing about, oh, we'll play it on the plane and you can pass the phone around. Or you have asymmetrical play or whatever. And, you know, as far as they go, they're fine. Mm. I never play them. I've tried. I tried the... Oh, God, what's it called? The rolly dicey one. I, <laughs> there is it down. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried a few. i tried the Catan one. i tried the Ticket to Ride one. And there's something about... We On the show, we always try and get at what is the core of playing a game. Why board games as opposed to something else? If it's just about getting together in a room with people, well, just go to the pub, right? Mm-hmm. If it's just about playing a game, just turn on the computer. You don't have to set things up mm-hmm. and deal with all... And, and do all the mathematics yourself. The computer handles that for you. But I guess it's it's something to do with a mix of people around a table, the tactility of manipulating your experience yourself, and the sort of almost perverse 
desire to remove yourself from technology that makes board games exciting. Mm. Therefore, whenever I play these games on apps, I just find them dull, insufferable. I think, so So for me, I, even when I play proper computer games, I tend to play games that basically run like board games anyway, mostly because I'm not very good at fast hand eye coordination. Right. So I want things that are turn-based anyway. So I tend to even play proper computer games that are like board games. So some of them uh, I like. I have ones that I think work better than others. Some of it's about size. Um, some just don't work that well, even on a largish tablet. It's just too squashed. Like Ticket for Ride is not bad, but it's very small. Yeah, yeah. Some that have worked really well because they've embraced the format and kind of used the original game more as a... A theme, a jumping off point. Yeah, or like so. For example, um, the Galaxy Trucker one is really, really good. Okay, works really, really well. Also, the um, Eld- um, Elder Sign. That's the one I was thinking of. Elder isn't Sons. too bad either. It works somewhat differently. Um, but then there are others that are just like basically, yeah, plonk your tokens on the screen, move them around. Um, I think for me, they're also an opportunity, and we'll revisit this a little bit later with some of the other kind of options we now have with board games and technology, of the ability to play a game. Like getting people around a table is great, but sometimes a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and the and ability I, to play I, something you want to play without that effort. I play a lot of board games, yeah. uh, partly because I do a podcast and I've got to play a lot of board games, but also because I enjoy it. I wouldn't have started a podcast if I didn't enjoy playing games, right? And sometimes people are a fucking nightmare. Mm-hmm. And that could be because you didn't sleep very well the night before. That could be because you've got indigestion. That could be because, you know, your boss at work is a dickhead. And so you're just not in the mood for sitting... You you want something. You want that sort of play experience, that mental experience, but you don't want other people. Now, some people would say, well, then board game apps mm. fall perfectly into that. You can sit at home, you can play over the internet with people, but... I don't know. There's something about they don't feel like decent games or they feel like they've taken the theme and they've just made a computer game out of it. And so I might as well, if I'm going to be on my own and play a game, this is why I don't play solo board games, right? Mm-hmm. I, the upkeep is just too much work. The moving the pieces, the counting the cards, all of that. If it's not a sort of communal thing you can enjoy, I don't get off on it. So I, I tend to avoid them. I'll just play a computer game if that's okay. the case. Yep. Fair enough. Um, That's not to say if you enjoy it that you're an idiot or something. I I think you are, but that doesn't mean you are. What I think and what is reality isn't always the same thing. Okay. Let's, um, just flipping this on its head again, just to throw you completely a tangent here, and there's um, one in this room, uh, I think. Yes, at least one. No, two. There's two in this room, actually. Penis? (laughs) <laughs> Actually, there are, yes. But um, computer games that became board games. So in my collection, you have XCOM and This War of Mine. Um, XCOM, the original computer game, is a bit board gamey. Um, this War of Mine, a little bit. But any thoughts on those or not too much experience of them? Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. you have the first big iteration, the first sort of in the wave of quality board games that came out sort of from the mid-90s onwards was Civilization, mm. mm-hmm. which was... An awesome game. A computer game yeah. based on a board game. Yeah. So Francis Tresham did the original Civilization in the 70s. Okay. And then Sid Meier made the computer game ah. based upon that game, right? And so then you had a board game based upon a computer game that was based upon 
a board game. I did actually not know that there was an original Civilization board yeah. game. Yeah, so Mega yeah. Civilization, the yeah. big sort of epic 18-hour, 29,000 players thing, is based upon the original 70s ah, game. Okay. And it's all very, you know, Oberos, snake-eating yeah. its tail. And Civilization makes sense, right? Because Civilization's essentially a board game. But just on a computer, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the board game makes perfect sense. And uh, having not played it, I can't really comment, but apparently it's fantastic. Very good. Um, XCOM, I think what, the way XCOM succeeds is that they focused on making it a board game, not a re-implementation of a computer game. It's different mediums. Mm. And so what they did was, I assume, not having played the XCOM board game, took the character of XCOM, and, but made sure it was very recognisable yeah. for people who are familiar yeah. with board games and made it an entertaining, tense yeah. game. It's extremely stressful, is the main thing. And that's the same with the computer game, it's the same with the board game. You don't play it when you want to relax. It's yeah. extremely tense. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, art does it all the time. Yeah. Books get turned into films, films get turned into books. You know, And as long as you... When it's... The, when it succeeds is when the person doing the adaptation understands the medium they're adapting into. Mm. And so they're able to take what's best about the medium they're adapting into whilst keeping the character of the thing they're adapting from. And mm. it's the same with computer games to board games and vice versa, I assume. Mm. And XCOM is a good example. And actually, uh, this war of mine is now doing it. I'm mostly it was late because it was a Kickstarter from a smaller company, whereas XCOM came from a bigger company that has more experience um they are games based on games with an app right (laughs) which is even more interesting so uh and we also have um so again it's been a growing trend there's XCOM that sort of was one of the first to do it well anyway um uh, and um the new mansions of madness which actually i think you've played that haven't you i haven't played the new one okay the new one is much better than the first one and the app is really very good. It really plays a very good role of a narrator, of um, a pace setter. Um, it gets tedious in places when it asks you to set up rooms because sometimes you just wish it would just tell you where to put everything instead mm. of it It does it all bit by bit all the time, which can make it a bit long-winded, especially when you've played the game a few times. But it also somewhere, I don't know if it's pure coincidence or it's intentional, hopefully, It does a very good job of getting the tension right. The game seems to start with a flurry of activity. Then it kind of slows down and nothing's really happening. And then suddenly it gets really tense towards the end. And every time I've played it, you you pass or fail at like the 11th hour. Right. (laughs) And it does a very good job of telling you when you're taking too long. um, If there's something you maybe should have done or something might happen... Like people might die, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's quite good at at prompting you to do things to progress the narrative without being too obvious about it. It actually does a very good job. And, and I guess the the point of an app in a game is to do calculation for you, is to do upkeep mm. for you, and manipulate numbers to result in random things happening that you have no idea of. I mean, one of the one of the bad things board games do is keeping secrets Mm, mm. and so and so what an app does because it's all in the app you kind of so XCOM is a wonderful example in which every round you'll have a tax Mm. hitting the world and it's your job to sort of get guys out and 
keep the things at bay. You can never destroy them wholly. I mean, XCOM is horrendously difficult as well. And what's so great about having it on the app is that there's n- it's genuinely a complete surprise mm. where things pop up. Whereas if you're manipulating a deck of cards or something like this, if you're setting the difficulty at the beginning by arranging cards in a certain way, you kind of have a notion, right? So there's less surprise. And XCOM is based upon tension mm. and mm. shock and a feeling of being constantly ground down, and the app really helps that. But it so what the app does is aid the experience. It's not the experience, and mm. I think that's important. Exactly, exactly. So now let's go to the more extreme end, um, which is the not necessarily complete the future. Some have been around for a while. This uh, genre of game simulators. Actually, one of the first was probably Vassal in two thousand and three, which yep. is ugly as hell, but still around. Um, and then more recently, Tabletop Simulator 2015, Tabletopia, kind of this year. Yeah. Some uh, um, Well, they kick-started quite a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, Tabletop Simulator's only really just started getting good as well. Tabletop uh, Stimulator? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's only is, just, that like a, is that like a vibrator with a suction cup? It only just started getting uh, stimulating. Um, and I think, you know, we're lucky. We live in a big city. Where and actually on the role playing world, Roll Twenty does a similar right, thing. Right, absolutely. We're, we live in a big city. It's very easy for us to find people to play with if we want. Actually, if you live in smaller places or you're somewhat isolated for a variety of reasons, you're in prison. Yeah, exactly. For well, I don't know if you people. have access to the internet in prison, but I'm not sure. For being but a perf. These these games. Operation U Tree, Chris. Why do you keep bringing up <laughs> Operation U Tree all the time? Do you have a lot of UK listeners to the show? <laughs> actually, no. Oh, really? I was looking at the analytics recently. No? <laughs> Not so many, actually. Get on Google. Look up <laughs> Operation U-Tree. <laughs> anyway, these uh, tabletop stimulators. Stimulators? Um, yes. Is that like a dildo, the suction cup on it? I'm getting a bit of deja vu now. <laughs> um, these, uh, they kind of emulate <laughs> the whole game completely. Some with varying elements of legalness. Some are official kind of... Now, with the more recent batch, there are official kind of uh, versions of. With Vassal, they were more vague around the legalities of them. Um, I've tried them a bit. As I say, I don't have much need, but as a technology person, I find them fascinating. They provide no AI or mechanics. It's purely a way of of emulating a table and dice and cards and things like that. You need to know the rules of the game. Exactly. Like a board game. Yeah. and You need to know the rules of the game. Personal experience of trying to develop for tabletop simulator especially, it's actually quite hard. Um, Getting the pieces the right sizes and things like that was actually quite a lot of effort. Um, I'm not sure about Tabletopia. I was supposed to do some work with them and then didn't hear anything. But have you ever tried any of them? No. If you'd have asked me a month ago (laughs) this question, I would have said to you, I'd have been quite sort of adamant that they were pointless and useless and not a lot of fun. And then I got asked to play through the ages on boardgamingonline.com, which is, I think it's okay legally. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay. And this is very <laughs> rudimentary. Yeah. Um, and you play, you play through the ages. It has one game and it's through the ages. And it's taken me, you know, three weeks and the game's still not over. Yeah, it's yeah. asymmetrical. And it's actually surprisingly good fun. So what they offer, what they offer is a long-term experience. They offer that sort of way of 
taking the piss out of each other on Twitter and all of this sort of stuff. And it, it's fine. I, I prefer the game in front of me, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. I think where things like Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia and things like this really shine, though, is, well, twofold. Firstly, playtesting mm-hmm. is absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. I think they will improve the quality of board games because you can have blind playtest groups all around the world who don't need a physical copy yep. of the game. I mean, a big problem is, you know, you can say, oh, would you like to playtest my game? Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, 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 send, yeah. You send them the PDF yeah. files and who the fuck prints them I know, out, you know? basically what I was using Tabletop Simulator for was yeah. for playtesting. Yeah. So that's really great. And also, interestingly, in the way that I guess TV made people hearken to the cinema experience, even though cinema thought that TV would be the death knell, and it ended up making the cinema a unique experience and actually much more attractive. I think tabletop simulating things will drive people to board games Mm, because mm. they'll go all right i'll spend a couple of hours playing this on tabletop simulator and then i'll buy it and i think that's their real value Mm. so pre-production and post-production i think is where they have the real value i don't i don't know but most people who game on these simulators i assume game face-to-face more i would think it's hard to say i mean which which roll 20 isn't i i assume there are a lot of people who I would say probably play solely on Roll20. Mm, the whole mm. role-playing community is different. But with the tabletop gaming, it's an addendum as opposed yeah. to... In terms of actual games, I have only played on Roll20. When I was not living in Berlin, when I was living in Leipzig, a smaller place where it was harder to find, especially English-speaking role-playing, I played some games there. And, I mean, role-playing, you're mostly just talking to people. So it actually it works reasonably well. Yeah. Um, and you still get mostly the same experience. You don't get the bonding experience of beers and snacks and things like that. But well, you haven't to yourself, of course. But <laughs> so, I do. A, I do most of my drinking alone. <laughs> so that's kind of where we are at the present. I mean, could you? Do you have any ideas about? Is there any space for technology in board games in the future? I've heard, um, and what could happen next? I've heard some people talk about taking the simulators to the next logical step with things like VR. Yeah. Um, is that one of them? Are there others? Can you see any others there might be? Well, that's the one people are talking about a lot, mm. that you have your... What's it called? Goggles. I don't know. Headsets. Yeah, but what's the, what's the big brand that's... Oh, out? Oculus. You have your Oculus, yeah. and you have the gloves that make you sort of feel things. Mm. Um, so... I mean, obviously, the logical use for that is pornography, but also at the same it's time... It's a current logical use. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you could have board games. That will be a thing, yeah. I'm sure. But there's something so intrinsically human, I think, mm-hmm. about the sitting around a table, playing with other people, having a tactile experience, and all of that. Because what we forget, communicating on screens is that there is a definite electrical crackle between two people when they're in the same Mm. room that is impossible to achieve online so i don't think that will i don't think the whole analog gaming experience will ever be fully submersed into vr or anything but i think i think at the moment where we are is good Mm. in that i think i think maybe what will happen possibly is you will buy a table 
yep. that's a screen, yeah. and you will buy a pack, yeah. which is pieces, and then you will like a game cartridge, plug it into it, yeah, plug yeah. it into the table, yeah. and you have modules that you can play. tables and cards that could update and things like that. Yeah, but fixed typos and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which which you know you can would eliminate the need for errata on board games, mm-hmm. right? Because you could just re-implement the erratas as you play. But what that takes away is there is also... I mean, I'm looking at your shelf of games here, and thinking, oh, don't they look nice? <laughs> there is an instinctual human desire to yeah. own things. And the amount of talking in the board game community about what do you do with the bits when you pop out your bits... What do you do with the bits left over? Do you keep them and all of that? And there is a, a real joy at owning physical things. Yeah. And especially the more computers become integral to our lives, I think the clo- the more we'll desire physical objects. Mm. So I don't see a complete submersion yeah. of technology into board games. Board games will still remain a fundamentally analogue thing. Yeah. I think. Otherwise they verge too much into computer games anyway, which is a whole separate industry. Yeah. And a big industry. Absolutely far bigger. Yeah. It's night and day, the size. Okay, I'm going to end on a slightly tangential topic and one that may, you may feel like you have no kind of, nothing to say on it, but I actually feel like you might. We'll see. I can literally talk bullshit on this topic for any length of time. So it's my intriguingly titled section about um, computers that play games. I mean, we have the... The, the one from history of Deep Blue playing yep. chess. And then more recently we have... Um, the Go computer. The AlphaGo playing Go. But then it's interesting, I did a bit of research into this when I put together my initial presentation around this because people always said chess is simple, in quote marks, for a computer to, to process because it's a lot of kind of just mechanics that you can model quite easily in a computer. Go is more subtle. Because I'm not actually particularly familiar with how to play Go, but it's more subtle in the way that moves are formed. Well, the decision space is apparently mm. just far bigger in Go mm. than it is in chess. That's why it's taken 20 yes. years, you know. But the interesting thing where we are now is this uh, concept, and I did some research, and Stanford University has been looking into this kind of literally now, the, what is called general game learning. So in both of these cases, they had to specifically teach a specific computer how to play a specific game, yeah. which is not very smart, really. I mean, okay, humans need a rule book, but once, but every interpretation of a rule book, we fit, or there's common mechanics that we can figure out and understand. So this similar concept of can you just feed a computer a rule book and it knows how to play a game? And obviously the rule book will be encoded in a particular way. Well, we see it knows how to play a game. What do you mean? It knows how to play a game this, so, sensibly. So again, this is an interesting point, and this is an interesting point of the difference between chess and Go. Chess, there is one winner and one loser. Um, and you either win or you lose. There's no, there's no points, there's no grey area. Go, I think, has a slightly different mechanism, and it's similar with many of the games we've been talking about. There are winners and losers, but the magnitude of winning and losing is very different and right. very subtle. Um, and you have third place and fourth place and things like that. Uh, and this is another difficult concept to actually encode it is not the, the winning is not black and as black and white. <laughs> it's, it's, well, I mean, I think we're nowhere near we're no. nowhere near certain games. So social deduction is a is an area where you basically have to decide whether someone's lying. Well, computers haven't passed the Turing test yet, so until they pass the Turing test, it's impossible. It's actually a very interesting kind of. I would actually almost encourage computer programmers to look down that avenue instead of the bigger, broader mechanic because that is. 
it brings all sorts of other discussions in as yeah. well. Actually. If you can convince a computer to lie convincingly, mm. then we're all dead, right? We're all <laughs> going to be paperclips in 10 years. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's general game learning is interesting, isn't it? Because you need... So I've been a gamer now sort of quite intensively for five years. Mm-hmm. And when I started to how I am now... It's completely different in terms of, if you want to term it success, in the ability to get a game, put it out, having never seen it before, and kind of be all right at it. Because you develop heuristics, right? And you develop general heuristics for general genres of Mm, games. Exactly. And I guess with computers, it's about teaching them not only the heuristics, but when to use them in which context. Now, I'm not a computer programmer. I don't know anything about AI, so I don't know how complex that is. But then it's also... So you have sort of general ideas that you can play, but how do you then have a computer react to players who just go after the computer because it's a computer, Mm, right? mm. So, you know, if you're going up against Garry Kasparov, he's going to have a certain set of reactions to situations because he's a professional chess player. You go up against someone playing Orléans who just decides, I don't like you because I don't like the way your hair's cut. You're going to have issues in that game that you wouldn't have in normal situations. So it's as much about developing computer intelligence that can react to the vagaries of human emotions as it is to playing games, right? Or am I talking out my ass? No, I think uh, I think this is this is actually the problem. Humans are vague by virtue a lot of, um, especially more than two player games are also exceptionally vague, and that is half the point. So I think we can kind of summarize. We may have different opinion, different opinions on some of the things we've discussed, but I think we can probably come to an agreement that the future of cardboard is mostly cardboard for the foreseeable future. And and also, you know, I I have this theory, everyone's shit scared at the Mm. moment. Everyone's scared. You know, Brexit, the European Union tearing itself apart, America, fuck me. And everyone, everyone is scared from one minute to the next that the whole shebang is going to go up in flames, right? So what do people do? Why is there this great... Surge in comic book popularity. Mm. Why is there this great surge in shitty retro 80s computer games? Why is there this great surge in board games? It's because it takes people back to a sort of blissful childhood where they just ha- they, mm. they didn't have to put their fingers in their ears and go la 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 to shut out the simple horror of the planet at the moment. Shut out the noise, the digital noise, which is yeah. possibly where we're <laughs> And so the point is, I think board games are so successful because people are scared in their everyday lives, whether they're going to lose their job tomorrow or anything. So they go back to places where they feel comfortable and board games make you feel safe and comfortable. All right. On that note, that's a serious note. But Ben, give, give uh, some people some more digital noise. Yeah, Where yeah. can people find your podcast? <laughs> now, this is the only fucking reason I came here. It's for, it's for this 30 seconds. So you can go to infoperfected.com. That's our website. It's for you tech people. You're going to snort derisively at it. But frankly, it's a 
fucking board game podcast. What do you want? Uh, there, you can get info. You can also, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, at Info Perfected is me on Twitter. My partner I do the show with is at Perfected Info. There's... <laughs> I never quite understood that. And now I think seeing you explain it in person made it make some sense. Anyway. Yeah, well... well <laughs> George Ross is a very serious, intelligent young man, and I'm an idiot. And he doesn't want to be associated with all the balls jokes. Okay. And you're currently running your own Patreon campaign. And we have a Patreon. So, I mean, I would suggest just pledging to the Patreon before you listen to the show. I mean, trust me. (laughs) But if not, yeah, patreon.com forward slash perfect information. And it's all about that things that people are trying to do when they produce content on the internet, you know, to get equipment, to facilitate doing the show and you know of course the end goal is one day to have an empire that brings in millions but you know i'm patient i can wait six months for that <laughs> thanks very much ben yeah <laughs> keep it real this